Welcome to Hearts and Minds. My name is Catherine McMahon and I'm joined here with Maura Cassidy. Today we're talking about how to be joyful. I think joy is what we're called to as Christians. And um, I think we sort of know that, but we kind of think if you're lucky. You know, it's kind of like almost like a luxury item. Some people are really joyful because by temperament they're joyful and the rest was just muddle along. Um, whereas I think G.K. Chesterton was he who said that joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. And you can see it, you know, when you look in the original, you know, the, the, you know, the annals of, say, the descriptions of the Christian martyrs, you know, um, obviously you don't need to go that, you know, you look up the Acts of the Apostles and it tells us, see how they loved one another. But St. Lawrence of Rome, I was always fascinated by him a little because he was big into the poor of Rome. And at one point he was asked by the Roman governor to show him all the riches of the church and to bring them to St. Peter's Square. And he brought all the, the down and outs and the homeless. And he said, this is the riches of the church, which was beautiful. But then he died burnt on a girdle. And I'm not quite how that, how, sure how that looked, but I wouldn't say it was pretty. It's actually in Rome, you can see it. Oh, can you? Yeah, it's a oh. marble with circular things in the middle, like oh. about eight or nine holes. Wow. Yeah. So that's where the heat came up. Yeah. Well, apparently he was on one side of the girdle and then he said to them, you can turn me over. Like, like wow. Now, I'm not saying we're all called to that level of joy, but that's impressive, that sense of humour in the middle of, humor, of such yeah. pain. I suppose it brings us back to the point of what the early Christians seemed to have very, 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 you might say, ingrained. And it's always interesting to look at the first Christians because they're so close to Christ in terms of just time. Um well, I suppose the idea that Christ didn't just say, look, it would be good to be happy because it will kind of make stuff easier for you. He said, rejoice always. It's a statement, it's a command. And, um, and I think sometimes what we do is we just steal away the joy that God wants for us now because we're fearful because, well, we attach conditions to joy. You know, I'll be happy if... Mm. You know, I'll be happy if I get the dream job. I'll be happy if the sun starts shining. I'll be happy if my bank account looks a bit healthier. I'll be happy if, you know, this relationship. It is very much about circumstances changing. Um, and I think all of us may have had the experience of meeting somebody who's had particularly maybe a tough time. Maybe you yourself have had it. And how whether it's grief or whether it's a problem or a sickness in the family. And sometimes their response is just so contrary to what you'd expect. You know, they say, well, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful to have had that child or I'm so grateful for the support of my husband or I'm so grateful for the experience of X, Y, or Z. Um, and I just, you just realize, God, some people really live, and I mean a deep way, mm. and the rest of us sometimes just live bouncing from one sort of experience to another. And we can get, you can get away with that. Um, I, it's funny, just even during the week, I was messaging a, you know, a, a cousin actually, just wish her happy birthday. And I was just so impressed by her and what's that back. Like, she just said, I'm just so grateful for all the blessings I have in my life. And I'll have a little bit of, you know, and she had a little beer, a little or a glass of wine and a cake tonight. And, and that's all I really need. Mm. And I just thought, wow, it's lovely when people's pleasures or their needs in that level are just, they're just happy. Yeah, and we all know simple. people in our lives who are just so happy with and so grateful for so little. And then sometimes we can find ourselves, you know, so many conditions attached to, to how I, you know, I can feel joyful. Um, 
And again, I, I suppose going back to the early Christians, because of course that's what we're reading these days of Easter, you know, at Mass. And I have to say, one of the readings from the Acts of the Apostles, I was so, so personally very struck by, and I'm sure I wasn't alone in this. You know, you the first persecutions, you know, so the early Christians are literally being rounded up, and Saint Paul is literally in people's homes, taking out women, children, men, everybody's being rounded up and pretty much brought to their death. And then people are fleeing Jerusalem. Uh, but those who are fleeing Jerusalem aren't just going, okay, let's just find a safe house and just, you know, lie low until it all dies down. They're actually spreading the good news. Mm. And it's, pr- it's absolutely nuts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, it is nuts. There is a madness, a daring, a recklessness associated with Christian joy because it's different. And I think joy is a lot to do with, you know, um, who you are, mm. basically. Whereas I think happiness is sort of a... What kind you of, do. What you do, or it's more like it's an after effect, whereas joy doesn't depend on outcome. Mm-hmm. Whereas joy is, I am, and that's why I'm happy, and, or that's why I'm joyful, rather. Um, you know, and that's why I think it's very connected with the fact that God is my Father. You know, in, in Opus Dei, we often, St. Rosemary used to often say, you know, to the first members of Opus Dei, he'd say, the basis of the spirit of Opus Dei is, what do you say, divine affiliation, you're a child of God. But that's the basis of Christianity. Our strength, our bedrock, our joy comes to the fact that I am God's and he is mine and he's my father. Um, and it's, you know, it's not this unknown God. It's a personal God who loves me, who knows me by my name, who can count every hair in my head and everything will be okay. And contrast that, I think, with, I think there was a recent study, and I think I picked this up from Father Mike Schmitz, actually. I was just listening to one of his things on, on one of his things during the week, and he was pointing out a Stanford study which was done on Americans and, um, and happiness. And basically the conclusion was that Americans needed to learn how to be happy. Yeah, And I, I think we could all probably say that of ourselves. You kind of need to learn basic things again. How can I be happy? Um, well, I'd say it's because a lot has been banked. Like if we think about the amount of input we've received over the last 50 years of what is considered to be happiness. Yeah. You know, the yeah. car, the house, the holidays. the And that that influences, that starts to creep in more and more and more. And when you don't have those things, then you think... Yeah. I'm not happy. Well, if I, uh, you're always chasing them, mm. you know. And you're frustrated with life, you know. So. Yeah, and I suppose even in the, in the American space, I suppose it's, it's the American dream, you know. Mm. Whereas you, you have the right to pursue happiness, you don't have the right to it, you know. Anyway, aside from that, I suppose joy, I think, is, is just very connected with the theological virtues, with faith, hope and charity. And I think particularly the one of hope, you know, um, because when we lose hope, we lose joy. You know, um, and that can come in many ways, you know, uncertainty, failed relationship, whatever, you know, uh, financial struggles or just a sense of I've no control over anything, uh, you know, something or something that seems to be chronic or protracted situations doesn't seem to end and at some point even trying. Um, and I think you do see that even, you know, I have to say you pick up the Gospels, you see St. Thomas. You know, St. Thomas is an interesting character because St. Thomas was a real rational pragmatist and yet he was terribly idealistic. You know, on one hand, he's telling the the other apostles when, you know, he missed out, you know, Jesus appears and he's just not there. And he's very clear with him. He says, look, unless I see his hands, the print of, of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe. And, um, and this very same apostle had said, you know, on the death of Lazarus, 
He had said, and the, as you know, the raising of Lazarus, before the raising of Lazarus, Jesus was going to back to Bethsaida. And um, he wasn't actually in the good books of a lot of people. So he, he couldn't really go out so openly. Um, but St. Thomas's line was, you know, let all, let's also go that we may also die with him. So he had staked everything on Jesus, mm. everything. And now this Jesus dies and there's no explanation. Mm. And he's three days in the tomb and what's going on. And these women, as he calls, you know, have lost their marvels, come back saying they've seen him. And now the apostles are picking up on this complete lack of rationalism. So I suppose what we see in, we see in St. Thomas is somebody's just lost hope. You know, he's, 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 he, he's suffering so much because things didn't work out the way he had expected them to work out. And and I think, you know, this is very helpful for us and it's something that Pope Francis has really helped us to unpack. And I don't know if you've had, anybody's had the chance to, I'm sure people have had the chance to read and pray with his homily of Holy Saturday, because he makes the point there is that whenever we think we've understood everything there is to know about God, we pigeonhole him. And we start to do with Kant, you know, the philosopher did, was we have our categories and we have our ideas. And, 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 and the Pope reminds us, well, he's not there. He's mm. not there in our categories. He's not there in, you know, you know, Jesus, you weren't there for me. He wasn't there in the tomb. He wasn't there as St. Thomas wanted and needed him to show up. But that wasn't God's plan. And... Um, and the danger is, of course, we only seek Jesus, our God, maybe potentially, you know, as this kind of sort of conditional Catholicism when I really need him, you know. And then that's that's a challenge because, of course, um, you know, and then we set aside him, set him aside until we actually really need him. And, of course, you know, he's not there for us, really. Yeah, I think Pope Francis talks a lot about that idea of being content in uncertainty. Yes. Simply because our society is so banked on certainty for our happiness, you know. Our, you know, our car works when we get up in the morning to go out to work. You know, everything is lined up perfectly for us because of technology. Mm. But yeah, I, that whole idea of just really thinking and reflecting about uncertainty in our lives, not to be afraid of it and to be just mm. content in it, just to be mm. happy in the messiness. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. And I think it goes back a lot to that thing of, as we said at the very beginning, that joy is something based on who I am. Not the outcomes, not what I achieve, not what I do, not how my day was. So we can, as Christians and as Catholics, be extremely joyful in moments of extreme adversity and difficulty. And and that is what the Catholic Christian mes message is. Because the fact is, and that phrase of St. Paul, which is omnium bonum, everything works out from the good, that no matter what happens, like essentially the resurrection is all about the fact that God has overcome death. In other words, he has said, look, there is going to be no more death. You will die physically, but you will not die spiritually. And there is heaven. And at the end of time, your bodies will be resurrected. What's that really telling us? If there's no, the biggest risk in life is nothingness. That at the end of this, I'm dead and there's nothing. Mm. And once that risk is overcome, we live risk-free. So at the very beginning, as I was saying, you see the apostles kind of going out and St. Philip spreading the good news because they've escaped, they've escaped death in Jerusalem. But death is following them in St. Paul. But they don't care mm. because the truth about it is death is no longer in charge. And I think that's the way we need to live. It's not, as you say, worrying about the certainties. You know, the certainties, of course, we do worry about them. Of course we do. But I suppose it's just being able to go, well, what do, you know, we're in God's hands, really. 
Mm. We're in his arms and we journey with him in the same way as Christ journeyed with the apostles in a mouse. He, he explained, he unpacked. And if we stay close to him and tap in consistently the fact that, look, I am God's and he is mine. And what does that really mean mm. for me in this? Just like the tree cutter outside right now. Exactly. He's he's very sure of his own identity. Yeah. He's sitting out there and he's chopping those trees down. Yeah, we didn't bank on having him now in the background. No, we didn't, but, but we're embracing there. that uncertainty. We're embracing that uncertainty of having a tree cutter, yeah. That's it. So... um. So I suppose in all of this, that we can't celebrate Easter, we can't be truly joyful if we continue to be dead. Mm. If we still going look going, if we still go looking for Jesus in Jesus, I need this by this time, Jesus, um, or even just going to the tomb, you know, um, you know, he's not there in those moments, and um, and in the past, you know, situations of the past that maybe are still hanging over us, you know, be able to go, Jesus isn't there, Jesus has gone ahead, he's gone to appear to the apostles. You know, mm-hmm. we need to be there. We need to be ahead, going forward, not living behind in our past lives or the failures or, you know, whatever it is. Because otherwise we reduce God to a lovely memory of when things were rosy-hued. And nothing about the past is rosy-hued, you know. And just a little side point here. I read something very interesting during the week, which I found it very helpful, is that... um not to be afraid of emotions and all of this. You know, when we get sad, it doesn't mean, I know this sounds like a totally contradictory, but when we're sad, it doesn't mean we're not joyful. Mm-hmm. You know, St. Osmer used to be able to say, you can, you can smile in, in, in your tears, okay, through your tears. And I often wonder what that meant. And, um, and the funny thing about it is, is how can we be joyful in our tears? Um, it's because sadness is a reminder to us is that we're grieving something, we've lost something. And we need to face that. You know, that's a sign that we're human. That we, and it's a sign of meaning. Mm. So if you're grieving something, it's that it's meaningful to you and that you live a meaningful life. If you move from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and so on, chip, chop, chip, chop, happy, 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 go lucky. Well, you're some sort of robot. Yeah, and you're not, you can't, you can't identify with a person like that. No, you know, if somebody's like a golden Labrador, they're gorgeous. But then there comes a moment where you're kind of going, you know, we need to get real here. Yeah. Like life is kind of a little bit rough. It is. Yeah. So it is nice to be able to kind of accept those things, but at the same time have that contented sort yeah. of background to your life. Or yes. Kind of a certainty, but at the same time, yeah. But the fact is, you know, that whole thing of smiling in the tears is going, you're happy because that you cared and that was that moment in your life which is gone or that thing that has changed. When you're sad, you're actually celebrating the fact that that was meaningful to you. Yeah. That relationship was meaningful to you in the same way as and obviously a much more profound level when somebody passes away who means a lot to you. If you don't grieve them, well then it, it's, it's like an insult, and I'm just putting it a bit strongly, but it is... It is slightly insulting of the relationship because if that person means something to you, of course you're going to grieve and you're going to grieve even more because that person means more to you. So grieving things in smaller, tiny, minuscule ways or bigger ways is a celebration of a person's humanity and also the richness of their life. And then you can move on. And there does come a moment after this, this is a minor minor parenthesis, where you have to go now, how do we get on with it now? Well, enough of that now. You know, and there is is a point you have to do that. So, um... We don't, as, as Christians, we don't seek Christ in the ruins of our past or in, you know, the tomb of habit. You know, well, this is the way I've always done it and this is the way it should go. And now my habit has changed. Well, good luck with that one. Because, you know, you know, we can't be the change queens except when it happens to me. <laughs> you know. Anyway, so I suppose the other thing as well, it all reminds us too of St. John Paul II, who of course said we're an Easter people. 
and Alleluia's our song. And we are genuine Easter people and these days are our days and when other people around us may not be very Easter about it, well, we should definitely claim that space and celebrate it mm. properly and well. I suppose, how to find joy. Well, for life to thrive, we need to fight and we need to struggle. And um, I suppose... Um, the point there really is a couple of things, okay? Because joy doesn't come just like, a, as you said, a nice little golden Labrador who's just you know, delighted with himself. Um, to, to, to be joyful, well, life is there to thrive, um, but we need to fight for that, okay? So the first thing is comfort and pleasure are there to be observed with care, okay? Mm-hmm. Comfort and pleasure are great, but they can't become substitutes for joy. And that happens when we confuse euphoria the sensual thing of, yay, hashtag I'm transformed and I'm amazing, with joy. Because joy is not, it's joy is not a sensation. You know, joy is much, much deeper than that. It's mm-hmm. an attitude, it's a gift, it's a grace. Mm-hmm. It's a way that we see things. And as I said, it's very closely tied to who we are as people. Whereas euphoria can end up being a self-centered experience. You just want to, to multiply, you know, if it's a glass of wine, <laughs> multiply the glass of wine, or if it's a concert, or if it's this. These things are all good in themselves. They're, they're, they're moments of fun and enjoyment and belongingness, but they're not... They're, they're not actually sources of joy because joy is a lot deeper. Yeah. Okay. Um, they're so, needed every once in a while. Yeah, well, they break like the monotony of yeah. life, but they're not. But they're not the source of your joy. They're not the source yeah. of your joy. Um, and I think, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas, you can't go wrong with him, says, you know, and I want to quote him because, of course, you can, because you really, really botch him. Man can't, or man and woman can't, can't live without joy. So when deprived of true spiritual joys, it's necessary that a man or woman become addicted to carnal pleasures. So basically, in other words, if we can't find the real joy, in other words, spiritual joys, and that is deep spiritual joy, it's it's obviously God, it's obviously, you know, fellow man and woman, family, friends and all that. Well, we're going to get addicted to the pleasures. Mm. Okay. And pleasure will never lead to joy in itself as an end in itself. So, um, we're only worth as good as our joys. And it's good to ask ourselves, you know, what are my joys? Because that can itself help us to actually look for joy in the right place. Mm. Um, uh, when we talk about joys, some people may be listening thinking, well, Catholicism, or, well, Irish Catholicism maybe is associated with guilt. So where's the joy in that? And I, I'd like to counter that a bit in the sense to say, look, obviously, yeah, there are situations where guilt, the guilt, you know, kind of label has been raised maybe too frequently. But sometimes guilt is good because guilt reminds if you do wrong, you feel bad after it. And that's a sign that you're spiritually alive. Otherwise, you're actually, there's sociopathic tendencies, like people who go around, like we all know that, murdering people and just like nothing happens. Yeah, but I, I do I do think there, yeah, in a sense that that situation of guilt in what you know what we understand in in Ireland of the Catholicism and guilt and everything it is there was a a big influence of the puritanical Mm. feel about religion Mm. you know like if if you enjoyed pleasure to do with your religion then it was wrong oh completely you know and you look at other you look at other countries let's say Italy or Spain or you know especially the Mediterranean countries and how they live their Catholic faith it was very you know Mm. Not pleasure centered, but there was a lot more pleasure to it. Mm. And I think, unfortunately, Ireland got, you know, got the wrong end of the stick. stick and, and mm. you know, the puritanical sort of feel of, yeah, that it has to be almost stern to to, to feel virtuous. Well, it has to feel really hard. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. I suppose I'm just trying to, I suppose, do I think of sometimes when people feel bad, feel bad about doing something wrong. And I think that's 
Good. Yeah, in, it's, a sign. it's a healthy, yeah. it's a healthy way of approaching life. But yeah. Now I'm not saying everything. I'm just make a point mm-hmm. here. Then this maybe could be a distraction. But sometimes there are things that, that are actually illegal, but they're not morally wrong. <laughs> so I'm, just, I'm not going to go down. I'm not going to go down there. But I'm just saying sometimes we feel that everything is wrong and everything's the same level of importance. So if you if you kind of fly a red light, you know, well, traffic it's like light. When you, when you ask young people, you know what I mean. Um, you know, like, I don't know, like primary school age or whatever like that. And they say, so what's a sin? They all unanimously say smoking. Yeah. You know, and you're like, okay. yeah, You know what I mean? It's at a society level what is considered a sin. Exactly. But so anyway, yeah. I just think that's also helpful. So I think it's good to break this down a little mm. bit of where, because certain guilt is obviously healthy, as you've pointed out, certain guilt is kind of cultural, not healthy. Another guilt is really not guilt at all. And it's just like stacking up things. Yeah. I think it's a, a lack of formation mm. sometimes, you know, that when people feel guilty about things that aren't really needed to be guilty exactly. about. And that's yeah. where complications arise yeah. yeah now having said that I'm just going to going to face our demons yeah, topic yeah. um because it's 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 I suppose what we were looking for is that joy that comes from that freedom from from sin and from evil you know let's be honest as well so it's helpful to talk about that in the sense that you know our faith helps us to face our demons because you all have things we do wrong and or do badly or ills we do to other people um and things that do genuinely cause, rob us of our joy and a sin. And that's okay. You know, I suppose the first thing is really is to, you know, own up to it and then to find the remedy, whether that's an act of contrition, if it's something small, or whether it's the sacrament of confession, which of course is there because we need it. It's not an add-on. Well, they call it the sacrament of joy. There you go. For a reason. Exactly. Mm. And then I suppose the other thing is to realize is there's somebody else out there who's out, out there to outwit us at every turn, and that's the devil. And he does exist. And um, and I think we have to counter him a little bit because he would try to help us to be suspicious of God, you know, like the Adam and Eve. You know, oh, look, God, yeah, he says this, but you know what he really wants? I'll just tell you a thing or two. He's got an Irish accent. Oh, totally, yeah, yeah. So the thing about that is, is that, um, and that's why if we live unreflective lives, we could be bought in by his big lies because it's a lot of lies, you know. He has access to our imagination. You know, whether we choose to embrace what he's suggesting or not. But I suppose that's where I suppose the important thing of being able to contemplate, to pray, to talk, to converse with God, to reflect on who we are. And you need to reflect on who you are to really embed yourself in it every day. Mm-hmm. Because our culture is telling us the opposite thing. As you said at the very beginning, it's telling us, look, if you have all the stuff you need, you're going to be happy. If you look gorgeous, amazing, articulate, and take all those boxes, life is going to be an absolute dream dream for you and of course it's so not true so I think it's daily connecting with that reality you know um, because um, he's going to stop that hope being eroded um, and and I think that's really really important because what story we tell ourselves is also terribly important you know um, I think because if we don't tell ourselves the right story well then how we think how we act how we love depends on how we see ourselves and how we see God I think that's very helpful to keep to, to remind yourselves of that. So, uh, you know, I think, I don't know if I mentioned it, but if, if a child asks his parents, why can't I be like so-and-so? Well, you're not so-and-so and mommy and daddy love you just the way you are. Well, in the same way, um, God's the same with us. And it goes down to the heart, goes down to the heart really of who has your heart, you know, when it comes to who you are. You know, is it the world that doesn't really care about you? Or is it God who says you're worth everything? 
You know, you're worth the, the death of Christ on the cross, etc. So I think one of the reasons we don't have joy is because we get too focused on that sort of what's been called practical atheism, which is, I believe God exists, but I live as if he doesn't exist. Hmm. I believe as if I'm a child of God, but I don't live as if I'm a child of God. If I live as if I'm a child of God, God's watching my back and I have nothing to worry about. And we shouldn't be surprised at that. It's something we need to renew regularly. Um, so the true joy really is a God who loves me exists. And that's the bottom line. And the lovely thing about all of that is that joy is pervasive, you know, in the sense that on my worst day, I'm not forgotten. And that pervasiveness of my joy is, is infectious. It leads other people to be joyful. Um, so to summarize all of that space, I suppose joy is a choice. It's, it's just like love in that sense. It's not a feeling, although it can be, but it's primarily not a feeling. Um, it's not a chemical reaction. Um, it's a sense that we can either chase, but we can chase the feeling thinking, you know, that this is where it's leading, you know, or we can choose the reality. You know, um, it's a bit like any of those Pixar cartoons where evil is sort of depicted as something beautiful and gorgeous and next thing the little witch appears and that's the end of it all. So, um, yeah, and I think sometimes, it's just to finish, I suppose, we, t- we miss the obvious, you know. Um, something can be staring us right in the face and we don't see it for what it is, you know. The greatness of something is underappreciated. You know, G.K. Chesterton used to say that a lot um, because it's, or we sometimes miss the greatness of something altogether. Um, not because it's too small, but because it's too large and too close to be seen. And again, I, you know, I think that's because some of the concepts of the ideas, the deep, uh, you know, realities, I'd say, rather than just ideas of our faith, uh, are so familiar to us Yeah, and I that think, we just take them for granted. I think when we're kind of even listening to you about this idea of, you know, that you're a child of God and, you know, confide in that and be in his arms, Sometimes I I think because of our modern culture, that sort of concept is very much kind of, oh, well, that's that's the generation of the naive, mm. you know, and I'm beyond that now or that, that's not intellectual enough. Maybe mm. I'm wrong about that, but, you know, it it is it is founded on theological mm. truth, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's not just simply, oh, well, that's somebody who hasn't really you know, mm. just a little bit naive in, with regards to their faith and just kind of falling into that as if mm. kind of like that'll, that'll comfort me, like the yeah. comfort of the poor, a little bit, that sort of idea that mm. sometimes is projected on with regards to Catholicism. Mm. In, it's almost simplistic. Yeah. Kind of like, a, you know, kind of, um, oh, you're, you're down on hard times. Well, you know, confide in God and everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. But it's, it goes much deeper, deeper than that. And it's based really on theological foundations but it's for us to to dig deep onto that and actually understand it as that as opposed to kind of a an emotional pat answer if you get yeah. the meaning like somebody saying you know oh I'll, I'll pray for you I'm sure it'll be okay oh yeah that's good but it has to go deeper oh we have to and I think we have access to that like mm. you can the amount of resources just to put it bluntly online is phenomenal mm. you can dig into the catechism you can dig, dig into so yeah, many different sources online to do it, oh know, yeah nobody's going to do it, it for us yeah. Stays very, I suppose yeah. it's also technology has led us to that misconception mm-hmm. that and I think if you look at the statistics across the world, the Western world anyway, we're not exactly a happy generation right now. Yeah, it's fascinating that, you know, when they rate the countries that are the happiest in the world, 
I don't think it's very valid. Well, I think also depends on how you rate them. Yeah, but it's um, kind of like the needs are met, basically. Yeah, yeah, needs are met, but then you look at suicide rates, and you look at a whole series of other things. Mm. Um, but I do, I do think that, that I suppose those studies, one of which I mentioned earlier, are numerous. You mm. know, um, and okay, we've had COVID, we've had the pandemic, but every previous generations to us had two wars, like last century. You know, mm. once one particular generation experienced two world wars at the beginning, at the end of their life. We're looking at Ukraine and. And what do we see in the Ukraine? Women who literally, and men who literally escaped the bombing, left their houses for left the World War II yeah. and are now leaving them again. So the adversity is always there. And adversity, in a bizarre kind of way, we need adversity to realize who we are. I think because in the West, we have, we're living this sort of unreal existence that is a constant nirvana of everything is fine. You know, and I don't mean to undermine people's personal situations. Obviously, they're different. But I think what's important, I think what it's, it's pointing to all the time is, what we're saying is enough is clearly not enough mm-hmm. because we're not just comfort-seeking bunnies who just need to be able to, or, you know, success bunnies. Success is not the same word as joy or happiness. And in fact, success and the need for success is what actually leads to a huge amount of Discontent. lack of well-being mm-hmm. because, of course, you can't, there's no guarantees in this life. And um, it's funny because I was just reading something during the week that... Um, you know, Milton in writing Paradise Lost, he wrote at a time of huge personal tragedy. His wife died, his daughter died, he himself, I think, was depressed. And he, he wrote that incredible epic poem. And Van Gogh, the same with one of his great masterpieces. He could write a list of them. And the extraordinary thing about that is that, yeah, so the human capacity for adversity, which often helps us to actually dig deep into who we are and why we're here, and that our joy is not based on, on having and doing and achieving mm-hmm. because they're very, very utilitarian. And I think all of this points back to the fact that we are deeply spiritual. And if we can't find the sacredness in everydayness, well, then why are we here? Mm. You know, we need to be able to every day touch the beauty of our reality and who we are and be able to celebrate it and not to be able to look at, you know, you know, whatever bottom lines and profit targets, you know. Sometimes it can be just sitting with an older person who's losing their memory and hearing the same story looped three times and knowing I'm privileged to be here because she may not be here for very long. Or it could be, you know, cleaning in yet another nappy or yet another dirty toddler or whatever it is. Or in the workplace trying to help a colleague who just seems to consistently struggle with the same thing. You know, and these are all things, but there are moments where we can either just get frustrated and just want to hurry our way through them. Or there are moments where we can think of, well, I can connect with this person. I can be present to this person. And I can listen, understand and and grow as a human being. Um, and hopefully as we get older, we kind of sort of realize that, you know. Groundhog Day, the movie, is brilliant in that. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> I know, it's a great movie. But anyway, just to finish, I suppose ultimately I think, you know, and I think this points back to that, which you're saying, Catherine, Easter didn't just happen to console, you know, the first Christians, the first 12 really, and the holy women who were, you know, mourning Jesus' death. You say, oh, geez, look, don't worry, Jesus actually survives. It's okay, we'll all be okay. We'll be safe. It, was, it wasn't a safety message. It wasn't a health warning. It was an extraordinary message of the triumph of God over, over, over evil. And you can drill into that, as you say, and as you and I are saying, we need to drill into our faith, to read the Acts of the Apostles, mm-hmm. to read the letters of St. Paul, and to be able to go, this is real. Mm-hmm. This happened. This took place. This is a Christian community of which we are living off today. Um, 
And there's an extraordinary thing, actually. Father John um, Henry Hansen draws this out in one of his lovely articles on the St. Joseph Marie Institute website. And he talks about there actually, you can go to, I think it's the University of um, in Jerusalem, in Israel, um, that's our museum, rather. And you find, a be- I suppose, a beautiful urn, urn there, which was uncovered a number of years ago in the 90s, and basically has the remains of Caiaphas. No Imagine. joke. No joke. And it's in the museum, and you can go and look at it among all the other, all the other little, and, sorry, I don't undermine that, but the exquisite artifacts, you know, dating back to that time. And it's quiet, and it's climate-controlled room and all this, and it's everybody's there, you know, cruising and all that kind of thing. Then you can go within a stone's throw, maybe a couple of stone's throw, to the Holy Sepulchre, and the place is buzzing with people, touching, feeling, everything. The, the various different rites of Christianity, the Orthodox, everybody's there. It's milling with people. And you think about it, you know, the tomb, you might say, the tomb of Caiaphas has been guarded by museum guards now. Mm-hmm. The Holy Sepulchre is just... Replet with all with kinds, with all kinds yeah. of people and they can't get it, they can't touch it and feel it and pray and love it enough. I think that says it all, doesn't it? Mm. That the the triumph of of Christ's death, and and what we see, and and I think as well is that so for for us today and now, let's not go back to the tomb that was empty. Let's go to the tomb which reminds us that Christ has risen. Mm. It's not the tomb of the dead; it's the tomb of the alive. And 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 others will think we're slightly nuts in the process. I wouldn't worry about it because the point about it is slightly nuts. But the point is that our hope has a name, and that name is Christ. And he went into the tomb for you and me, and he went to the depths for you and me, um, because he loved us so much, and and he bore all the weight of our burdens, etc. And now he's risen, and that's why we're happy. Brilliant. Okay, thanks very much, more. Not at all. Um, so we'll finish now, and hopefully the tree cutter will not appear too much in the audio file of this podcast. But if it does. At least you know that life is messy and this is what happens. <laughs> exactly. um, so in anything that we refer to in the podcast, we will include in the description, you know, any links or anything like that, like the article, the very good article from John, Father John Henry Hansen, etc. Okay, thank you very much and see you in the next podcast. Bye.